Hi there, I hope you all had a great Christmas and welcome to the latest episode of Defiance. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today I have an interview with an amazing couple I met in San Salvador, the capital of El Salvador. John and Danielle Snyder are the co-founders of Mission to El Salvador, a charity set up to help the most vulnerable people in the capital, the homeless, those with drug and alcohol addiction, and young women who are victims of sex trafficking. Honestly, I have to say that John and Danielle totally blew my mind. Having heard so much about the dangers of El Salvador, it being the murder capital of the world, I was obviously slightly nervous visiting, but we met at their office at one of the most dangerous parts of the capital, San Salvador, and they talked to me about their program, they walked me around their facilities, and I met a bunch of people who work with them, and I have to say, you know what, they completely blew my mind. The work they're doing is incredible, and there are links to find out more about this in the show notes. But before we get into the interview, I do need to thank my sponsor Kraken, the best place to buy Bitcoin. Consistently rated the best and most secure cryptocurrency exchange, Kraken puts the power in your hands to buy, sell and trade Bitcoin. Are you a Bitcoiner? If not, and you would like to learn more about Bitcoin, then please do check out my other show, What Bitcoin Did, which Kraken also sponsors. Bitcoin is a decentralized peer-to-peer digital currency without any central authority. By not having any controlling party required to validate transactions, Bitcoin is both trustless and permissionless. It is an opt-out of government fuckery. And as Edward Snowden said, Bitcoin is freedom. Find out more at kraken.com, which is K-R-A-K-E-N.com. Also, if you are enjoying Defiance and you want to support the show, there's a number of things you can do. You can leave me a review on iTunes and subscribe to the show. You can follow me on social media at Peter McCormack, and you can share it out with your friends and family. The reason why we fight is to draw attention to issues and to fix it. Resilient, resolute, defiant in the face of impossible odds. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction and all you can talk about is money. Hundreds of protesters turned out singing glory to Hong Kong, an anthem of defiance. Hi, Daniel. Hi. So um, two days ago, I'd never been to Central America and had no plans to go to Central America. And now two days later, I'm in gang country. Yes. In the murder capital of the world, talking to you. So thank you for having me here. It's very short notice. Yeah. I don't know much about you or your project, but Mike's like, you've got to meet Danielle. <laughs> okay. So can you give me the background to how you ended up in the most, one of the most dangerous parts of the world? Well, about 12 years ago, my husband and I, John is his name, uh, had a friend who was Salvadoran. She had lived in the States for many years, and she invited John, my husband, to come on a a volunteer trip, and um, he did that for a few years, kind of got involved doing some different volunteer things, and he noticed when he was driving around the city that there were not a lot of resources for people who were on the street or in really vulnerable situations here in the capital of San Salvador. And so 10 years ago, we moved here, November of 2009, with our two kids. We have two kids. And we started an organization called Mission to El Salvador. And we work in the Tutuni Chapa neighborhood of San Salvador, which is one of the most dangerous neighborhoods in in the city and in the country. And we started working here because there were quite a lot of needs that we noticed on the street. And as I mentioned, not a lot of public safety nets or resources for people uh, in vulnerable situations. And so we began by working with the homeless population. That was the first group that we started working with. And then 
once we started getting involved with people on the street, well, first we had to learn Spanish and the culture and all kinds of that fun aspect. Did you speak any Spanish? No, we did not. No, Just no. what I learned in high school, which was wow. useless. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that was a learning curve, but we studied uh, the language and the culture, learned a lot about the war that happened here. There was a, a really brutal civil war that ended in 1992. So the country in many ways is still very much of a post-war culture um, with a lot of cultural trauma and a lot of violence still existed in the culture. But so that's what we came kind of on with the goal of reaching the homeless community and see if we could do some good here. And through that process, we started doing things like going out in the streets and talking to people, trying to find out their situation. And as part of that process, one night I was out actually passing out coffee and cookies. And I met a girl who was about 20, 21 years old on the street corner. And she was there prostituting herself. And I just started talking to her a little bit about her life and realized that she really wasn't there by choice. And so that night, I just kind of remember saying, well, we have to do something for the women that are being exploited here too. And that began a journey of just learning about what trafficking looks like in El Salvador and what we could do to reach people in, in our community. From that point, we also began to meet kids on the street. And so we opened a youth rehab center. And uh, that right now we have four kids living there who are all minors between the ages of 10 and 17 with addictions ranging from cocaine, marijuana, alcohol. So we have a um, residential rehab program for them as well. It's okay. a quick overview of what we do. Well, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot, lot to unpack there. I'm, I'm an ex-cocaine addict. Okay. Uh, so um, I understand addiction. So that will be an interesting area to talk about. But what's going through in my head is that you made a decision to move your family to the murder capital of the world, yes. to set yourself up in the most dangerous neighborhood, and then just to walk around on the streets and talk to people and potentially try and save people who are in situations they don't want to be, who I'm assuming are owned by gangs, mm -hmm. and putting yourself at great danger. So when I said to my dad, oh, I'm going to El Salvador, he panicked, but I'm getting driven to a room to do an interview you've put yourself in the most dangerous situation possible. So I guess the question I really want to ask is, what is the reality of the danger? Because you hear these, oh, it's so dangerous, but what is the reality of the mm -hmm. danger? I think, I mean, our experience living here has been, I think, like any major city. I mean, there are parts of every major city in the world that are dangerous, mm -hmm. more dangerous than other parts. Um, and so you kind of learn where to go, and what areas to avoid. And in our case, we've gotten to know our community. We've gotten to know the different community leaders, let them know that we respect them. We're here to serve the community and to help the community. And that's, that's really our goal. Uh, this particular area that we're in is, is controlled more by narco traffickers. So it's, it's neutral gang territory. So we aren't on any particular gangs turf and really the narco-traffickers don't want to get a lot of police involved in the area, so they, they don't really bother us. We've been able to kind of live and let live and have not had major confrontations with them. There is violence. There are areas that we avoid. and But for the most part, we have not had any major run-ins. Personally, a lot of the people we work with, we have had people that come to our programs, um, have been murdered, extorted, have been involved in all kinds of crimes, have been victims of crimes. So there, there is a lot of violence that is affecting the lives of the people 
that we touch each day. So it's definitely a reality. Uh, I know even talking to some of the women that uh, work with in my program, uh, that our trafficking survivors have described even coming to our center to access resources saying as they're walking through the downtown, they have to, to walk past bodies or someone who's been shot or killed. It's just a reality. Uh, some of them live in neighborhoods where the gangs decide who can and cannot come in. Uh, and so that's, that's a reality that many of them face. That as, as foreigners coming in here, we have an advantage in that sense. That it's kind of no one speci specifically targeting foreigners. And um, there is, you do hear a lot about the violence. You do hear a lot about that aspect. But for me, it's been so worth it living here because... As a culture, the Salvadoran people are incredibly resilient. I mean, they are tough, they are hardworking, they are creative, but just incredibly resilient. That's just the word that I always come back to. Have you had to build a relationship with any of the gang leaders and have to have like an ongoing negotiation, explain what you're doing? And also, have you had yourselves any threats of being extorted? Mm -hmm. We have not. We've okay. not been extorted. Uh, we have made contact with, with the gang leaders in this area. Okay. So we know them, they know who we are, they know what we're doing. One of the things that was explained to me that was super interesting was that actually it doesn't make sense to target foreigners because a lot of the gangs will extort from the hotels and mm. if foreigners are afraid of coming into the country, then actually that reduces their income and that most of the crime tends to be El Salvadorian on El Salvador, mm -hmm. uh, Salvadorian and most tourists are actually relatively safe. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's mostly gang on gang violence. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about the the program. Firstly, how how is it financed? Are you are you a charity? Yes. Okay. Yes, we have nonprofit status um, in the U.S. and here in El Salvador, and then we're under a charity umbrella in Canada, so we can get donations from North America and then from here in El Salvador as well. And do you get support from the government? No, not no. <laughs> no not <yet. laughs> I think we got one grant once for a small amount, so we get so in terms of financial. Support from the Salvadoran government, no, but in terms of partnership and trying to work with us, we do have a good working relationship with them. And there's, is there no social safety net in El Salvador at all? There are, I would say, families here, extended families stick together in, a, in that, in a sense, as a safety net. But there are a lot of families that have kind of fallen apart because of migration mm -hmm. and violence. And, uh, and then some churches are involved in some communities, but there aren't a lot of really solid programs for people that are with, that have addictions or that are on the street or that are trying to get out of the sex trade, things like that. It's There are not a lot of resources and there's, available. And there's no government welfare at all? There's some, like some of the things like, like healthcare okay. can be accessed. It's not great healthcare, but you can access healthcare okay. if you don't have insurance and that kind of thing. But... No, not really. And I was also told within the prisons, this, this blew my mind, the only way you get fed in the prisons is if your family bring in food to the prison. Yeah. You don't get fed by the prison. And I was like, well, what happens? <laughs> yeah. If they have no food, do you just die? What, what happens? I still don't understand. I, I have not been in the prisons a lot, so I, don't, I can't speak to that, but I know that it's kind of how it works, and then everyone kind of shares what they have. But again, I, that's not my area, so I don't know that much. I, well, I've already made the inquiry. Can I go? <laughs> I'm, I'm fascinated by the country after only being here for 24 hours. Oh, it's a hours. great place. I know. It kind of sucks you in. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's, firstly, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Um, yeah. And the people are lovely. Yes. And it's not what I pictured. I, I pictured, 
I pictured it in my head. Everywhere I'd go, I'd see guys in like big long denim shorts with white socks pulled up with gang tattoos Mm -hmm. and bald heads. That's what I thought I would see everywhere and I've not seen, I haven't seen any of it. Yeah. And so it's not what I thought and I, yeah, I'm feeling the gravity sucking me in. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about the first program. That was for the homelessness. Yes. Okay. What is the extent of the homeless problem in El Salvador? Have you got kind of numbers? There hasn't been real official numbers taken since about 2000, I'd say almost 2011, I think, 2012 uh, is when they did the last census. Um, During that particular time, there was over a couple thousand just in San Salvador. Right. You know, the capital city of San Salvador. That didn't translate or that didn't uh, take into effect any other areas in El Salvador. I, I personally believe, you know, possibly part of the reason why there hasn't been another official study done is because that number is extremely low, what they took, and they're afraid to kind of see what it really is. Not necessarily afraid, but, you know, if you can kind of stay away from from those type of numbers that don't look good for, a pop, you know, for your city or whatever. So. Right, okay. Okay, um, so... What kind of demographics are? Is it young? Is it old? Does it is it? No it's across pattern? the board. Across it's the board. across the board. I mean, there's there's minors. There's there's a good population of minors on the streets. You know, under eighteen. There's a, a very heavy population between I would say eighteen and about thirty. Eighteen okay. and about thirty is is your highest population, and then about thirty five to about sixty five. There's another big group of population. So there's a there's a, a an older population as well that's living on the streets. Is there a gender split? There is. Um, you'd be surprised that that there's probably a little bit more percentage of males versus females, but it's I, I would venture to say it's about 60-40. Okay. And, so there's and, a good many women as well. And do we know why they end up in the street? Is it just breakdown of family? Is it A lot of different reasons. Uh, disintegration of family is a big one. Another big factor is a lot of the gangs and getting forced out of the areas where you lived and you can't live in that community and you have nowhere else to go you don't have resources and so you end up on the street somewhere Uh, another big problem over the past especially over the past five to ten years is all the deportees coming back there's on average 50 to 60 deportees just from the states coming back monday through friday uh, every day 50 to 60 every day so it's about 300 and some you know, deportees from the States every week coming back. And they just dropped off. They just dropped off in the airport, brought in to the airport, just kind of dropped off. About a year and a half ago, immigration really started, it has really started to to work with them a little bit more. They get a little uh, 15-minute debrief to a a half-hour debrief, kind of when they get off the plane, bought a water, a phone call, and kind of a little bit of logistics. Before a year and a half ago, they didn't even have that. But a lot of these deportees that are coming back, they've been in the States their whole lives. And so they don't have any contacts here. They don't have family. A lot of them don't even speak Spanish. And so they're, they're brought to a country that basically is completely new to them since they left you know, when they were one or two or three years old and ha- haven't been back since. That's actually quite scary if you, if you can't speak Spanish. Very much so. And, and even the stigma in the States of El Salvador is a very dangerous country. And, and violent country, especially with the gangs, a lot of a lot of the deportees that I've talked to come back. They're they're afraid. They're like, is that really true? What I've been hearing in the states, I don't know, because I've never lived here, and I'm only hearing what I hear from the states, and and it's terrifying. Even though I'm Salvadoran, my blood is Salvadoran, and but 
I, I really don't even speak Spanish, you know. And jumping back to kind of what we said before that how foreigners aren't necessarily targeted here, but when people come back deportees, especially if they've had some kind of gang connection in the U.S., they're actually very vulnerable to violence. Okay. So that population ends up a lot on the streets. We try to get to that population as quickly as possible because a lot of that population can work in call centers. You know, their English is, is relatively good. And so, you know, we try to get them off the streets because if not, they'll end up either getting into a gang or getting into drugs, alcohol, living on the streets. And then once that kicks in, you're on the streets. So are gangs uh, an option for exiting the streets? Will gang members come and give you an option to get they off the can. streets? They can. Okay. Um, because it's sort of part of, you know, bringing you into their family. Okay. Right? Quote, unquote, family. And so um, if you if you don't want to get on the streets, then there are some some communities that will, you know, accept you in. The problem is they they look, you know, at your Dewey, which is your document here, which is, says where your, identifi- your main identification, it says where you were born, where you're from, where you've been living. And so they'll kind of see if it's in the same, their territory, or is it, you know, the competing gang's territory? And depending on that, you know, they'll either let you in or, or not. Oh, right. So, because as I understand it, the main couple of gangs here is the MS-13 and 18th Street? Yes, those are the two main ones. And are they seeing if they were part of that Correct. zone in the U.S.? In the, if they were deportees, yes. Okay. If they are deportees, yes, uh, based on their tattoos as well. Based on characteristics of clothing, uh, the the way that they talk, the you know the the different wording and stuff like that, they're able to pick that up really quickly. I was also told actually some of the gang members now are, are stopping getting tattoos because the tattoos are what their police help identify them. Some do, yeah. yeah some do. Um, it's some some do and some don't. Okay. Um, because there's other uh, other factors as well. You know, from shoes to different jewelry that's worn. Those are more identifying factors. Okay, so the program itself, what, what is the structure and design of the program and what are your goals with it? Is it just is it first to support and is it then to integrate them back into the system? How does it work? Yeah, basically it's what it is. We have a resource center here and, and it's a level system. So okay. we we don't want to be that organization that just kind of gives handouts. Mm-hmm. And you know, here's a handout and keep coming back and be dependent on us. No, not at all. So if you want help, you can come here. We have different resources here, everything, you know, we work in a holistic manner. So we address the physical, the mental, the emotional, the spiritual um, aspects of, of the individual. And, and basically what they need is sort of what we try to kind of help them out with. And so we have social workers, we have psychologists, we have drug therapists on staff that give individual and group therapies. We have different uh, physical aspects. We have a gym, we have a soccer court, we have a basketball court. We have different workshops. We have mechanic tree workshop, computer workshop, carpentry workshop, um, like a jewelry type workshop. We also have different micro-enterprises. We have three micro-enterprises where, where if they want to get a job, they can actually get a job to kind of start making some money to kind of get off the streets or, you know, to kind of get in the next step. So, but everything, like I mentioned before, everything is in a level system. So basically, you, you have come in, you're level one, you have accesses to different resources. We have showers we, that you can take showers and do personal hygiene type stuff. We have lunch every day. We have Bible studies three times a week. We have uh, a movie time and game time just to kind of interaction and social aspect. 
you have access to all of those. If you meet the requirements to get to level two, then you have more resources that are open. You have group requirements therapies. being t- staying off drugs and alcohol. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So staying off drugs, staying off alcohol, any uh, anything that you're consuming, sitting down with one of our social workers and actually uh, getting a file on you to kind of what are the areas that you need help in and how can we help you in a better way and uh-huh. more focused way instead of just saying, hey, you're just part of this group and, and kind of work in that way. It's, it's try to be, we try to be specialized and, and focused on each individual and, and what their needs are. So if they move from level one, then they get to level two and you have more resources that are opened up. You have, you have a gym that's opened up. You have a soccer field that's opened up. You have group therapy sessions, same thing. You meet different requirements to, from level two to get to level three. And a lot of them are uh, characteristic traits that we look for. You know, we kind of work with them. They kind of say, hey, we want you to be responsible. So what does responsible mean? That means showing up on time for this resources. Hey, we want you to start working on a curriculum because, or your resume, sorry, curriculum in Spanish, your resume because we can get you a job. So let's sit down and you sit down and go through our computer workshop where you can do your resume here. We'll print it out for you, help you go through it. And then we're going to we're gonna send our social worker with you and, and take you to different places and try to help you get you know some jobs, job interviews. Wow. So those are the types of, of different resources that we have here that we can offer. Mm-hmm. And that is, that is for, um, as we mentioned, the homeless population, but then also women that have survived trafficking are also can work through that system as well. And anyone else who's like in a really vulnerable situation on the street in extreme poverty with an addiction who wants to come out of the commercial sex industry, who's a survivor of trafficking, um, someone who's been a deportee, someone who wants to leave a gang or coming out of prison, all of those populations we can serve at the resource center so the programs overlap yes they overlap okay i mean it's it sounds huge like how, how big's the team that supports this <laughs> so we have uh, on staff right now we have 24 salvadorans uh-huh. uh salvador professionals and we have one, two, three, four other uh north americans that are on staff and that's a fully paid full-time fully job? paid full-time okay um, all of our social workers psychologists drug therapists they're all licensed and you know degrees and everything it's just not somebody who wants to kind of do good for somebody they're they're licensed professionals and how many people are in the program at once can you support in in the program we currently have close to about a hundred right now wow we have some that are just starting through the programs and, and getting there and then apart from that we also have um before you get into the level system quote unquote we have a level it's just basic Mm-hmm. And anybody can use uh, specific resources. We have specific resources. So you know what? If you want to take advantage of just getting a plate of food for lunch every day, more than welcome. Come on in. No strings attached. Nobody's going to hassle you. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to bother you to, to kind of, you know, continue. We'll encourage you to kind of, you know, move along into the resource center and, and kind of work with some of our professional staff but if that's all you want to do for days months years on end so be it that's fine do you provide shelter we do not provide shelter okay. for adults okay okay you don't provide it for adults okay so what's and the we just we just opened the center in the end of january this year okay. so it's just been a newer program that the we full launched. the full center yeah. of it we had we had different programs throughout the week but it was very sporadic because we didn't have the the same space to provide everything all at once. And so now that we have this new facility, we're able to have a full resource center. I mean, the scale of what you've built in 10 years is 
I mean, how do you reflect on it yourselves? <laughs> yes. Yes, we have. Yes, and, and, and honestly, I just shake my head, just like I'm doing now. Um, yeah. We're both type A. Like, we like to do stuff. We're very active. So. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, uh, sometimes astounding to me when I sit here and think, like, okay, you know, we started out with literally a PVC frame pvc pipe frame with a blue tarp around it with a hose that was the shower that we gave to somebody off the street that wanted to now we're in a, a nice building we have all of these resources we have you know 20 some people on staff professionals and not only that we're seeing people and we're seeing lives being changed you yes know, to me that is that's amazing because, you know, when we came in, we thought that we were going to change the world. We thought we were going to change El Salvador. And you know what? That doesn't happen. Um, you know, El Salvador changed us for the better. And so um, when we can see one person or two people or three people a year that maybe leave their addictions or come out of prostitution or get out of the sex industry or um, get off of the streets and get a job and just get a room or get a family, get a job. That's that's great success, and for us, that's just super exciting. What's the end of the program? So, what you, you talk about levels? I guess there's one where you're just like, you have to you let them go. It, yeah. yeah, you let them go, and and, and that's and, tough, you know, because yeah. they've been there, and they're still part of our family, even though we kind of have. So, we have four levels. So, once you get into level four and you graduate, you basically come on as sort of like a, a specialized mentor, a coach. Okay. So anytime that you want to come through our, our facility, you are welcome. The doors are always open. And we we kind of use those people to kind of mentor and coach and encourage some of the other ones coming up through the levels. So that helps because you scale. Been there. That, and that, yeah, that helps you scale. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So so I mean for us, we haven't we haven't gotten to the point where we have a ton of those yet because mm-hmm. we just started um, you know, within within this past year. But we do have a couple there. I mean and even before some of the programs that I was talking about, we've had, but just sporadic, we've had some some people come out come out of there. We probably have a good half dozen that either have jobs, have gotten married. We have a couple on our staff now that have been, you know, four years sober because of coming out of the program. So it's exciting. It but, really is. And are there any specific? Sorry, you go ahead, Daniel. No, I was just gonna say, um, just kind of piggybacking off of that, is that we really want to be in the community and something that is sort of by the community and for the community we are the guests here and so we love we have community service as part of the process that each of our clients work through and then they give back to the community so it just as it grows it's sort of an organic sort of movement in our community Uh is what we want to see are there any specific standout like case studies or stories that just really make you proud where you're like this is why we do it yeah absolutely i mean there's we have one guy on our staff uh he's a really good friend of mine right now and uh douglas he's been on the streets he was on the streets for over 18 years heavily addicted to cocaine and alcohol and his lowest point he was drinking 90 proof pure alcohol that you would buy at a pharmacy and just burning his intestines and everything inside and really worked with him for about four years four and a half years through the ups and downs and yes i want to change and the next day he's back on the streets and you know how all that goes but um, long story short, worked with him. He, he, he felt that when he was at his lowest that he was going to die. And so mm-hmm. he wanted some medical attention. I said, by all means, we'll get you medical attention. We want to help you. Did. Um, but we want to see you 
you know, make a commitment as well. So he came, he was a volunteer with us for a full year. All we did was give him personal hygiene, food, and that to kind of sustain him. And I said, if you go through that full year, the next year we'll bring you on staff. So we brought him on on staff um, and kind of gave him a base salary for another year. The following year, I said, if you want to continue, you know, we can either try to help you find another job or if you want to continue here. He said, no, he, he wants to con- continue giving back and loves what he, you know, what Mission El Salvador stands for and what we believe in and how we're helping. And so he's officially on staff now with us, has health benefits and wow. his pension, just like a normal staff person. And, you know, he's he's gotten his driver's license. He's somebody who doesn't talk a whole lot. He loves to joke around, but um, just somebody just really, really proud of because yeah. he just completed uh, November 21st. He just completed four years of sobriety. Wow. And um, it, it's just amazing. Does just he recognize amazing. it himself where he's come? He does. He does. I mean, I still have photos and videos from a long time ago when we first started and looking at him it's just night and day difference wow. and, and and you know he's commented to me he said honestly you know without your help um, without mission el salvador without obviously you know other people around him supporting him he'd probably be dead right now because the group of friends that he used to hang out with they're all dead they're wow. all dead so kind of a tough question but equally have there been people you haven't been able to help it's just not worked out and yeah i don't need examples of that yeah. but you know yeah, absolutely. And that's that's very tough, you know, when especially when you work with somebody for a long period of time, even, you know, 6 months to a year to 2 years. I can I can, you know, come up with three or four names right now that I'm thinking in my head. It worked with them for a couple of years and um, end up dying. End up one end up dying from cirrhosis out on the street, 21 years old. Jesus. You know, and seeing his, his his bloated stomach looking like he he was pregnant with twins. That's how big his his stomach was. I mean, it just breaks your heart even thinking about it even to this day. Uh, one of the first guys that I that I kind of started working with here was in and out of rehabs and and he was doing good for a long time and then relapsed and um, he got shot, you know, and killed. And it just story after story, you can sit here and say, these are the ones that, you know, we give everything that we can and, and we want to them to succeed as much as we can. And, but we can only do so much if they're not willing to kind of go mm-hmm. the next mile. That's the tough piece, right? You know, mm. we can we can give everything, resources, heart, energy, money, whatever, to try to help somebody. But if they're not ready, there's nothing you can do about it. And that's the that's the heartbreaking piece. And do you therefore kind of have to look out for each other, look after yourselves emotionally, psychologically with this? Self-care because, is a big thing. Self-care yeah. is a big thing. And honestly, that's something that we didn't do really well at the beginning. Uh, it's something that we've learned, I think, over the over the past couple of years, even more so to do it. Um, but even that, that's tough. You know, it's, it's tough to kind of just take that time and say, Hey, I need this for myself or I have to focus on me and not focus on others because everything that we do here is so focused on others. You know, it's easy for, uh, honestly, it's even easier sometimes for me to kind of look out for some of our clients instead of looking out for, you know, my family you know, and, and you got to keep those priorities because what, what matters, what matters most is, you know, the people that are close to your family and I'm not saying our clients don't matter mm-hmm. by any means, but if we're not healthy, if I'm not healthy, 
I can't give healthy resources to somebody else, whether mm-hmm. it's just talking with them or loving on them or walking this life together with them. Um, okay, so that's the homeless program. You've also got the program for uh, children with addiction, mm-hmm. minors with addiction. So you said from 10. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Okay, that kind of just knocked me back. So, yeah. you, sorry, you weren't in the room when I told Daniel. Yeah. Uh, I'm, so, I'm a recovering addict, okay. uh, recovering cocaine addict. I wouldn't say like the heaviest one, but to the point where it was a problem and I ended up in hospital uh, a daily user. So, I understand addiction Absolutely. and to the point where I think the time I realized I was an addict was a time where, I, again, I used to do it a lot on my own mm-hmm. and uh, it was the night where I was doing it to feel normal rather than to build yep, high and absolutely. you know and then jumping in the shower getting out of the shower yep. can't calm down do it again feel normal and that was the time i was like this Sometimes. is bad and then i ended up in hospital with uh, anyway so it is what it is people listen to my show know about this so addiction like is an important subject for me and there's multiple things we could talk about but but just the fact that you said a 10 year old just threw me yeah. because my daughter's nine and she's yeah. 10 in february and She's fucking tidy, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I mean, so like, uh-huh. so talk to me about the drugs problem in El Salvador. How young does it start? Yeah. Well, before I get into that, congratulations. Yeah. Because Thank you. I always love to congratulate somebody who's coming out because yeah. it's, it's 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 tough. It's it's really a challenge at times. So congratulations. Um, do want to put that in there. Here in El Salvador, we see a lot of cocaine. We see a lot of crack. We have a, a good bit of marijuana. Uh, marijuana is horrible here um, right. you know and and that's sort of the base level and mm-hmm. some of the um upper levels there are some there is some mdma here there's um some more meth coming in uh and meth is starting to be a real big problem here there's a little bit of heroin uh, not too too much up until this point in time which is a good thing mm-hmm. um one of the big concerns right now is like fentanyl coming in because it's you know synthetic a lot cheaper a lot more potent and so and massively fucked up exactly <laughs> like exactly. what but yeah so most of our clients that are on the streets you know or in glue obviously shoe glue too yeah. you know something that you're just sniffing and huffing you know they don't have a whole lot of resources so if they can get you know a dollar you know you can get a, a little bottle of shoe glue to huff or sniff for you know 50 cents and that'll last you a couple of days, take away your hunger pains and all that, and, and you're good. Oh, hold on, we'll back up there. Mm-hmm. So not only to get high to take away hunger pains, that's quite a different... It is? That's... They, they go hand in hand. Yeah. They go hand in hand, right? Absolutely to get high because, again, that uh-huh. addict, you're chasing the next high, right? That's, yeah, that's of course. That's what you're looking for. But also... Here, you know, they don't have all the luxuries that we do in, in North America where uh, or, or other first world countries where, you know, there's plenty of food banks around. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, somebody. No, a lot of times some of our clients don't eat for a couple of days. And so if you have 50 cents, you know, some of the people that, that we talk to, what can I get for 50 cents? I might as well get something that'll take away some of my hunger pain so I don't have to deal with that for a day or two. And, and that'll give me the buzz. And then obviously the addiction starts in and, and that's you know just a vicious cycle, obviously. But yeah. But okay, so that's a dollar. But if someone's a cocaine addict... If somebody's a cocaine addict, they're not going to get into to glue all that much until they get... But could they be somebody on the street who's a cocaine addict? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So how are they funding this? Because it's not Robbing. a cheap addiction. Right. Robbing. Um, you know, addicts are very resourceful and thrifty. You know, if they can, they can rob, they can 
you'll see street corner acts, you know, washing windshields on the corners. You know, they there's a lot of little markets and sellers and that have their little carts and stuff that they set up on the streets. And so a lot of them will, you know, push the cart up the hill or down the street for the old little lady that's going to set up her cart and she'll give them, uh, you know, a dollar or something. And, you know, that dollar you can get, you know, two, two little pieces of, of crack and you'll smoke that 15 minutes and you'll start looking for something else. And, um, Just you know, a cycle. cocaine, you know, you can get, you know, a, a little dime bag for a couple bucks. I mean, it's, and, and it's obviously cut, you know, what, mm-hmm. what they're putting into it. It's cut five times over before it gets to El Salvador. And then once it's here in El Salvador, it's cut with powdered milk. It's cut, you know, with anything that you can yeah. think of. So it's, it's definitely not, not anywhere close to pure. From, from the numbers that I have heard, the purest cocaine that we have here in the country is about 30% pure. Okay. So are you, is this an outreach program? Are you finding the addicts or are they coming to you? Both. Okay. Both. Yeah. Uh, obviously, a lot of word of mouth. We have really good street credibility. We've been here for so long, you know, and, and people have realized that we're not here, you know, robbing money from people. Course, and yeah. we're, you know, we're actually trying to help and, and we really want the people su- to succeed. And so people come searching us, you know, people, where's, where's Mr. El Salvador? Where's, you know, the blue truck that's out front that everybody looks for? And then also, we go out. You know, we have an outreach program every Thursday night. We go out to the streets. We feed, we feed a meal, no questions asked, no strings attached. And basically, we use that as our first point of contact of new people that are coming on the streets, other people that we haven't seen in a while. Um, where have you been? You've been, you know, in a hangover for the past week or so. Come back. You know, we want to try to help you and, and get. So it's, it's both. It's people search us and, and we actually search others as well. Do you get any kind of hassles on the street? Most of the time, no. Okay. Most of the time, we are obviously we we take security very. Um, what's the right Serious. word? Serious. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we do everything with the highest security as possible. But obviously, we're in the middle of the downtown capital city of San Salvador at ten, ten thirty, eleven exactly. o'clock at night. You know, the, we're, do, the, we're, the UK dot gov website says don't be out, don't, in, be exactly. out at night, especially in downtown San Salvador. Exactly. Um, so yeah, but a lot of a lot of our clients know us. Okay. You know, we have we have it's relationship built okay. from the, from the beginning, and so I mean I have people. It, it was funny. We were just at a hardware store last weekend, and a security guard came over to my truck. He said, "John, yeah, you don't remember me? No, I'm I'm sorry." I used to be in your program five years ago. Wow. What? And he told me, and then I remembered who he was and yeah. completely changed, had his security uniform on, gun on his belt, would not have recognized him unless he came up to me and told me. And so, like, obviously, it's, that's just a great example of yeah. relationship-based, right? Like, How many have been through the system in total? You know what? Thousands? It's a great question. It's a great question. We probably have, probably throughout at least... A, a thousand, couple thousand, mm-hmm. uh, different, that unique. We've had some contact with. Then we've point. had some contact yeah. with unique, you know, unique uh, clients. Um, and as far as like the kids program too, the government knows that we're here. We're the only program for minors okay. in El Salvador. So wow. uh, kids can get referred from courts, or if their family, if they do have a family member that is worried for them, can put them in contact with us. And so that's we've had kids come there from all over the country. Yeah. So that's kind of. Probably more the most widely known, and that's a residency program. And that's residents. 
Yeah. Okay, so you take them in, and your goal is to get them off the drugs? Get them off the drugs. So it's a nine-month residential program. Of course. Yeah. So obviously the first 30 days, blackout, no visits, no phone calls, no nothing. Obviously that's you know detoxing physically, but also mentally, spiritually, mm -hmm. everything, right? Um, we, we cut everything off. And then from there, we start working with them in the drug dependence piece. Okay. In the next couple months, really focus on drug dependence piece. The middle kind of months, we work heavily on the emotional factor, stability. And then the last couple months, we really work with a life goal, life transition plan, transition into family, depending on how old they are and, mm -hmm. and what they're going on to next. But from the beginning, from day one, we really work with the family as well. So if you have a healthy family unit, fantastic, we work with you. If you don't have a healthy family unit, we look for an aunt, an uncle, a grandfather, somebody to kind of fulfill that role. And we work with them so that as you leave and graduate the program, we're actually bringing you into a healthy family environment as well. Here, it's, it's a vicious cycle because a lot of the adults in their lives are either addicts themselves or sellers or the next door neighbors or they just don't know how to handle a child that's into addictions right mm -hmm. and so we kind of educate the family as well to kind of say hey these are some just general basic stuff on addictions on how to handle some of your stuff how to how to work consequences in the house and stuff like that so this whole nine months that, that, that you know we're working with the child inside, we're also working with the family unit as well. And right. for us, that's very important because without the family structure, you know we can help the child, remove the child, put him back into a very similar environment from when he you know left and and came back into, and it's just gonna be in the same vicious cycle. And Danielle, you mentioned to me one of the most important things is respect. Mm -hmm. Does that mean you have to be careful in how you approach the families because would they be feel like you're being disrespectful telling them how to raise their children? Is that is that a, like a prickly area to deal with? It, it's something that we have to be very cognizant about. But honestly, most of the families that have came through want more. Okay. They want to know how to kind of deal with it because they, they don't there, again, like Daniel mentioned, there's no other program in the in the whole country for minors. And they're, for drug they're addiction. Kind of, well, by the time they would come here, they're pretty desperate to get help right, for their okay. kids. Or if the kid comes off the streets or doesn't have a family, they're kind of exhausted all of their options at that point. Do you feel like El Salvador's changing? Because the reason I ask is a couple of things that stood out to me. Firstly, Mike said to me that in his community, that a gang leader spoke to them and they're actually pleased with the work they're doing because they don't want their children, their brothers and sisters getting into the gangs. Also, Jorge on the way down said to me, he said, the murder rate's actually dropping. So there's, there's something seems to be changing. I can't figure out if this is a cultural change, if the gang leaders are getting older and just like, you know, or is it because the kids are more connected and they're seeing a, a, a different world? Or what do you feel is going on? I think... I think it's a very complex issue. Yeah. I, I can see some changes for the better, but I also can see some changes for the worse. Okay. Um, some of the changes uh, for the better is I, I believe, you know, some of the new programs that the, that the, whether they're government run or private sector run that are trying to kind of work with different communities and try to keep families together. I think that's a really good thing. And I think that's, you can start seeing a little bit more of that, that there's more value again on the family unit. Okay. You know, it, the murder rate being down, obviously the numbers show that. Um, 
look at some of the other statistics of missing persons that are up, you know, right. Okay. You know, what does that say? Could be coincidence or could not be. I, I don't know. You know, there's, there's still some he- heavy violence in some areas, but from, from my understanding and, and some of the people we work with, some of the, the before heavier run zones have actually been cleaned up a little bit uh, more recently. And so that's a good thing. You know, some of the things that they're, they're still needing to do is more reintegration programs. You know, people wanting to leave gangs, there's really nothing for them. It's dangerous to leave it's a very gang. Very dangerous right? to leave. And even more so if you don't have anything. You mm-hmm. know, if you had something, there's, you know, it's still dangerous, but hey, I'll try to hold on to hope that hey, I still have a, at least a job or I have a place that I can call home. But, you know, especially without that, it's super dangerous to leave a gang. Okay. And so, um, you know, I would, I would agree. You know, I've had some, some conversations with some gang leaders here, with some, some of the, the people who, who run this particular area that we work in, and they're very happy that we're here in this zone. You know, we, they, they've actually sent us a few kids to say, hey, get these kids off the street because they should not be on the street. I wow. don't want to see them. And so uh, to me, that kind of just blows my mind. And, you know, well, why, why would you want that? Well, you don't understand addiction is so big that I, will, I have an un, un, endless supply of, of people coming through that want to get addicted. So keep these kids off the street. Right, okay. And so... Well, let's talk about the sex workers that you've been helping with as well. And then if you don't mind staying, John, yeah. there's like a few questions to close out I'd love to cover. So obviously you didn't target starting with sex workers. You Let's go back to the story. You met a girl. Yeah. She was 21. Mm-hmm. So she was on the street. She had, she said that she started working in, um, and she kind of phrased it as she decided to work in the commercial sex industry when she was 12. But 12 year olds don't, decide one day that that's that's what they want to do so there was some involvement from some other family members once i started to kind of get to know her story she had been to the u.s at one point had been back to el salvador had been trafficked all along the way exploited all along the way in the u.s and then had come back here and was on the streets again where her boyfriend who was in reality the trafficker pimp was basically making her stand on the corner and she had to give him her money and that was kind of the beginning of me trying to figure out what was happening with the trafficking situation in El Salvador. So of, of the three areas that we've talked about, this is the one that I would fear most for you mm-hmm. because you're taking potentially the revenue away from a pretty bad yeah. dude. Um, and uh, well, we're do, we work more on the follow-up and reintegration side okay. of trafficking. So we're not, we do, we have identified a few trafficking cases and reported them to the authorities, but we're not like going undercover into brothels and pulling people out no, or anything but of course, like that <laughs> but, but yeah. I, i've seen so i saw i don't know if you know louis theroux but i saw a documentary he made about the relationship between pimps and sex workers and it's a very it's a kind of a strange relationship mm-hmm. there there's almost like a, a, a servitude going mm-hmm. on there and what i'm imagining is like if somebody's come to you and they want to say exit the trade mm-hmm there's the pull and push and pull of the pimp still or is that yes yeah yeah there that dynamic is still there or in the case of some of them have aged out so oh, okay. if they are for example girls as young as 11 are targeted by gangs there's a lot of gang-based trafficking so girls that live in violent communities are at a really high risk okay. of being trafficked by gangs so the gangs will basically by force or coercion threaten their families and and 
they'll basically say, okay, you have to give me your 11-year-old daughter, we're going to exploit her, or I'm going to kill your whole family. And so that's the option they're left in. And, or they'll say she's going to be the gang leader's girlfriend, and she has to sleep with him or with all these other gang members, and we're also going to be prostituting her around for money. And that's often the choice. So sometimes these girls, when they get a little older, the gangs kind of move on to someone else, or they have a whole bunch of kids or whatever, and they're not valuable anymore. And at that point, they're really in just a really low point and in need of a lot of care okay. and what an ability to start now? over. So some of them I've met are like 18, 19, like early 20s. So they are involved in this sort of cycle for a long time. They can be. Some of them will try to flee the country, which is a big, when you hear a lot about all the migration, mm-hmm. there's also a lot of vulnerability to being exploited along the way. Even if someone does say, I want to leave the country, because, I mean, the irony of it all is they could say, I'm being threatened that I have to join a gang, so now I'm going to hire a smuggler to get me out of the country. And then sometimes in that process, they end up being exploited again. And it's just it's just a bad situation for these okay. girls. But aging out at 18 doesn't they, just... Some of them, it just it I, depends. But it's not that old. Yeah, but <laughs> I, yeah, well, no, right. And I'm thinking, hold on. Hold on. This isn't just sex workers. This is this is paedophilia. Mm-hmm. This yeah, is child sex abuse. They're eleven and twelve years old. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Okay, okay. I'm trying to take that in. Mm-hmm. So, is this what you're finding on the street? You also are you finding children that you're helping? We have. I have met. I, I know. We know a lot of girls that are. And there is a place the government has. They protect children that have been rescued from sex trafficking. There is a place that is safe for them. So a lot of times though, when they're 18, there's nothing, there are no other services for them. And so we really try to help them with the transition. Okay. So process. T- tell me about the program then that you run. So for those. the program that we do, when we talked about the resource center that we have, all of those resources are available okay. to these women and these girls. In addition, specifically for them, we have a microenterprise where they get jobs selling bras and we work with another organization called free the girls that is a U.S.-based organization that works in Costa Rica, Mozambique, Uganda, and El I Salvador. I think I've heard of them. You've probably heard of yeah. them. Yeah. You may have heard of them. So, But what, we're one of their partner sites. So we help them start their business selling bras, and everyone asks why bras. And the reason is because then they're working with women. It's kind of a woman-for-woman woman business plan. Trust yes. environment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so they come in, and so we help get them started selling bras, with the inventory that we have from Free the Girls. And at the same time, we get them into the therapy and the sort of social support and the other things we have here going on. A lot of them have kids, so we get their kids in school. So then they can work. Their kids are in school. Their kids are safe. And uh, they're able to start their own businesses. And we really try to get them into that business as soon as possible because that's really the hook that helps keep them from being re-trafficked. Uh, because the the risk of being re-trafficked is very high. If that's what you've known, especially, I think, without exception, every woman we work with was originally trafficked as a child. So if they kind of grow up with that, some of the youngest, she started being trafficked when she was eight by her grandfather. He oh, started really? selling her in the community. And, and so then a lot of them will say, well, then I chose to go into prostitution. And there's just so much just uh, healing that needs to happen with the way they see themselves and the kind of work they are capable of doing. So we want to get them into that business right away, which we coach them through. It gives them job training and it gives them confidence because now they are earning money. They're not being forced to be exploited and then giving their money to someone else. They are keeping their money. They are paying their bills. Uh, There was one woman, the one I just mentioned, who Mm -hmm. had 
been trafficked since childhood who I'll just never forget the first time she came in and she's just sobbing. And she said, I paid my own water bill with my own money. And she was just so just pumped up about this. And it's very healing. Business is healing Mm. for these women. They're empowered to do their own business. They just the ways that they're then able to be creative, that it's just an incredibly therapeutic thing for them as well, because they're able to earn their own business or earn their own living through their own business, which is just incredible and, for them. And I'm guessing you, you deal with a range of people, like uh, you'll have some that are just maybe broken as human beings, but also yeah. some who actually is probably surprisingly tough and resilient. Oh yeah, uh, for sure. I mean, we've had uh, one of the girls we work with, she had been involved, she had been trafficked through the gangs, but had still ended up going to jail because she had also been involved in a gang and gang members are sent to jail. So she mm-hmm. was treated as a criminal and got none of the support she should need. She did her jail sentence and then came to us. And she's really good at, I mean, she started her own business, mm-hmm. had a horrible childhood. One of her kids was born in jail, but it's like she was. She said, okay, this is my chance and I'm going to take it. And you see that resiliency and that some of these women just have a knack for business. That's sort of this innate thing that, we're able to tap into some of them. Like you said, it's a much more difficult uphill battle, just depending on the trauma and the level of trauma that they've suffered and sort of the, what needs to happen there. But we have really seen so many of them rise to the occasion starting. They have their own Facebook pages. They're sending shipments of bras around the country. They have, uh, they've set up stands that they're renting in their, communities where they go to the market every weekend and are able to sell bras or they have their regular customers. So they've really, it's just amazing to see what, what they're able to do Mm -hmm. with that opportunity. And is there a lot of work involved in psychologically rebuilding them and almost, I don't know, do you have to kind of reintegrate them into what a normal relationship is and what a normal loving relationship is? And, and actually, because one of the things I was told is there, there is a, there is a lot of gender disrespect in this country. Yes, that is true. Like machismo is yeah. very is a very big issue. So that is a big part of the work that we do with them. The therapeutic process is okay. just what is what is like a healthy relationship mm-hmm. look like, or what does it mean to be treated lovingly? Uh-huh. And I think that's where having men on our staff too has been. Because I know there's different trains of thought. Okay, do you just have them work with women? And the, yes, that's kind of how it starts. But I think having healthy relationships with the other men on our staff has also been a really good thing for them. Understanding this is what it looks like to be treated as an equal and empowered by men to be able to have your own business and sort of seen in as an equal and not just seen as trash or disrespected in the street. Wow. So tra- trafficking is a huge problem all through El Salvador, though. I think, well, it's a problem on different levels because there's a lot of families that sell their own kids for sex because of poverty. There's the gang-based violence. There's the irregular immigration. And those are all factors that are put people at a high high risk. See, I mean, you two are obviously doing an incredible job dealing with the output of the problem. But, like, have you guys discussed, do you think of ways that... To, that you, things could be improved. I've heard the new president's great. I've heard he's got a very high approval rating, but I, I don't know anything about him. Like, <laughs> like just, I just got here yesterday. <laughs> yeah, I just got here yesterday. I was like, he's got an 88% approval rating. Everyone thinks yeah. he's great. He's young. He's got good ideas. He says, like, let's stop stealing the money. And then I hear El Salvador has a single-term 
limit mm-hmm. on a president. And I'm like, well, that's fucking stupid if he's doing a great <laughs> job. So, like, what are your own thoughts? Yeah. Well, I think, well, one of the things, because it's improving the country. I mean, that's, because as I mentioned, we first started working with the homeless. And then mm-hmm. we thought, okay, we need to go upstream here a little bit, which is why we started the youth rehab. Because mm-hmm. is there something further Start that earlier. can be done? Yeah. 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 To prevent it. And, I mean, the problems are really big. Mm. It's, I wish it was that easy to say, we're going to have this great s- systematic change in the country. Uh, but I think... It starts with our community, I think, okay. for us. It starts and it, with the Yeah, community. and anything else I would add, I mean, it, it didn't get like this overnight, mm-hmm. right? And so for, for decades, you know, the country start, has been going downhill. And so it's not going to, obviously, tomorrow wake up and, and kind of, you know, mm-hmm. be better. And so, you know, some of the things that we've tried to do is, you know, obviously, Danielle mentioned, the, the, you know, start with the youth. And now, you know, the past year and a half, we've really started doing some prevention programs in schools and okay. stuff like that. So, you know, trying to always, again, get one step up further up river to kind of mitigate the same vicious cycle that's happened. Well, education is important, right? Uh-huh. And, and oh, yeah. can you answer a question for me? Tell me if this is true. Somebody told me last, I found it hard to believe, and they insisted on it. In school, in math, they have to write from one to a million. Yeah, they told me last night that's all they do in math. And they tell, and they say, whatever the number they're, they actually carry on until they get to a million. Huh. I, I don't know. I've never heard that before. I know. But Can you understand why it's ridiculous? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't that sound ridiculous. It does sound ridiculous. Well, but I do know gangs heavily recruit in the school system. And really? that, so a lot of people pull their kids out of school so they won't be recruited into gangs. So it's just... Right. And there's okay. a lot of kids that, that are afraid to go to school. Yeah. Because if they go to school and they don't become a, a watch lookout, you know, for the gang, you know, just very, not, not even initiated into the gang or whatever, but just, you know, hey, if police are coming down the road, you give us a call, or you give us a signal, that's just something very basic. If they don't even do that, then... They, they have a chance of being disappeared. You know, like it's it's just, so there's a it's lot of fifth grade, sixth grade students that, I, that I've talked with and they're like, I don't want to go to school. Well, why? I, I, I'm afraid. I don't want to get into that because I know that that's not what I should be getting into and I really don't want to, but what are my options? If I say no, they're going to take me away and I don't know if I'll ever come back. Mm-hmm. I think uh, it at this point, though, I know uh, every year the U.S. government releases a trafficking in persons report, the TIP report. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if you're yeah. familiar with it at all. But this this year, for the first time, that report actually included, okay, there are kids being forced into illicit criminal activity, and not just prostitution, but also uh, drugs and things like that that are minors. And so I think there is starting to be sort of this, okay, these are human rights issues. I mean, this isn't just, mm-hmm. oh, this country has a crime problem. I mean, this is, a, this is a human rights issue. These kids' childhood is being taken. They are being forced to become criminals, to be involved in these criminal gangs. I mean, I think now they're starting to sort of see that that's, that's a legitimate issue. Okay, so how do you fix it? I, I wish that it was, there was an easy fix, but I think just to sort of beginning to recognize that how just how big the problem is and how much it's it's cyclical it's, it will continue to impact generations. Yeah, well, I've got to say I, I think what you guys are doing is fucking amazing. Like you've oh, totally <laughs> blown my mind today. I don't know if you ever sit back and like you know just say to yourselves like we've done something amazing here. But from here, from where I am, it sounds it sounds incredible. Uh, I personally, I'm an entrepreneur, so I'm like I'm thinking what. Well, 
how do you expand this? Like, what is it for you? What is next for you guys? Do you want to take it out out of El Salvador? What's the plans for the? You know. Yeah, I mean, we've we've talked about that. Obviously, our first goal is so that it's completely Salvadoran run. Okay. Right? You know, we want we we want to be able to kind of step back and say, okay, hey. This is everything that we have here. Mission El Salvador is completely run by Salvadorans from top down. And then, hey, what do we do with this? Do we replicate it here in El Salvador in a different biggest city, you know, other side of the country? Do we take it into Nicaragua, Honduras, another neighboring country in, in Central America? Because we are seeing starting to see results. And, and again, our programs aren't perfect by any means. We're still always trying to tweak them and get better and do um, do better with them. But we're seeing we're seeing people being changed right mm-hmm. um whether it's it's the kids coming out of the new dawn program or if it's adults coming out of a resource center so yeah that that's sort of where we're at now you know what does that look like obviously funding is a big issue resources is a big yeah. issue everything that we do here is fully funded by by donors of mission el salvador whether that's individuals uh in the states around the world churches organizations that that fund it we don't get any money from any government agency or uh, other big organization that you know they have their own umbrella that they send to. We don't get any of that. So if anyone's listening and they're like, "This is cool, I want to help," I mean, funding's obviously yeah. a point. Where do they find out more? Go to our website www.missiontoelsalvador.com. It's just missiontoelsalvador.com has a lot more information there on our programs. We do bring in volunteers anybody wants to do volunteers internships we have all that open as well from anywhere we've had interns from england australia mexico u.s yeah. canada so so we're we're kind of open kind of tempted yeah come on down for, for <laughs> yeah, a month I or am. so i am i am well i'm coming back next got summer two kids. i've got two kids okay 15 and 9 Awesome. I'm going to come back next summer. I've told Mike already. Like, this was by chance. And yeah. yeah. Well, listen, look, I think you two are fucking amazing. I really do. Thank um, you. I can't wait to get this out and people to hear it. Just keep doing what you're doing. If for any reason I can ever help, please do reach out to me. But thank you for doing this at short notice. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. Thank you for sure. being here. Thanks for having us. Thank you for listening to Defiance. I really hope you enjoyed this interview with John and Danielle Snyder. It was really great to spend some time with them in San Salvador and see the work they're doing in some of the most deprived areas I've ever visited. So thank you, John. Thank you, Danielle, for coming on the show. I will be hopefully heading back there next year to spend a couple of more days with them. I want to spend a bit more time in the capital and I've offered to help volunteer and just find out more about the program. And next year, I'm also going to be starting video and work. So hopefully I'll go out there and make a film about what they're doing. If you want to find out more about the program, please refer to the show notes. Also, I need to say a big thanks to my sponsor Kraken, the best place to buy Bitcoin, consistently rated the best and most secure cryptocurrency exchange. Kraken puts the power in your hands to buy, sell and trade Bitcoin. Find out more at kraken.com. Also, if you want to support the show, there's a number of things you can do. Please leave me a review on iTunes and subscribe to the show, follow the show on social media or share it out with your friends and family. If you have any questions about the show, then please feel free to email me on peter at defiance.news. 